0: Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo, the director of AGLCA. Today we are going to be talking with Jay Craft of Trawler's Great Lakes, and he's going to walk us through some of the basic DIY type maintenance things you can do on your own loop or boat, which can save you some substantial money on your way around the loop. Before we bring him in, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the great loop. And with that out of the way, Jay Kraft from Trawler's Great Lakes, who is another one of our sponsors. Thanks for joining me today.
1: You're welcome, Kim. Good to see you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. And you had that uh, kind of suggested this topic to me when we last saw you at the Houston Looper Lifestyle Seminar. I thought it was a great idea. So let's jump right in. And one thing that people talk about all the time is oil changes. It's something that a lot of people can do on their own boat if you just have a little bit of knowledge and practice. So uh, what's the best way for someone to learn how to do that on their own boat? Well,
1: that's a good question. I think most people already have some sort of knowledge on how to change oil if it's not a motorcycle or a car. So I think that procedure is already in place, but uh-huh. uh, changing it on a boat is a little bit more involved. It's usually more volume of oil. There's filters or a couple of filters and things like that. So there's, the, the process is in place. You just need to plan a little bit more. You're going to have more uh, more oil you're going to have to accumulate the oil in some sort of container and then of course find a place to dispose of it uh, and then refill it so I think most people if they've done some sort of an oil change on a car or a motorcycle they know how to fundamentally do it it's just a little bit more planning a little bit more of a process yeah it's not that difficult
0: so um, are there any kind of tools of the trade that can help with that volume of oil or you know, any other part of the process? Because you're also kind of, depending on your engine room and the size of your boat, you are maybe in kind of a confined space trying to do that as well. So what are some of your suggestions on trying to make it a little easier on yourself?
1: Yeah, I think you'll find there's a lot of uh, vessels now that have these oil extraction units that are uh, already installed into the engine room, which makes extraction of the engine oil really easy. Uh, If you don't have that system plumbed, hard plumbed into your boat already, you can go out and get a carry kit that is a bucket with a 12 volt pump that you can hook up to a 12 volt supply and then withdraw, extract the oil out of the engine, normally through the dipstick tube that goes down into the engine with a smaller diameter tube. uh, And you can extract it that way and then put it into a, a bucket or previously used oil quarts and gallons and things like that to put it in so Mm -hmm. that's usually what's involved to get the oil out and how to how to have that happen
0: right and from your experience because you did mention disposing of the oil and that can be a little bit of a challenge but from your experience will um, you know particularly on the loop where you're not land-based will most marinas have a way to dispose of that
1: most marinas should have a way to dispose of that, mm-hmm. either directly uh, an oil uh, dumping container that they've got, or they have a service that picks it up. Uh, I've been in many marinas that just ask you to leave the containers by the trash bins and they'll pick it up and, mm-hmm. and give it to a service to make sure this disposed of properly. So, but that is a big, that's a big consideration if you're going to do it yourself and not have a, a field tech unit do that, because that's part of the process. You have to plan on what to do with that. Definitely. And it's a big part of it.
0: Right, so maybe check with the marina you're at about disposing that before you, before you start. Um, any other tools yeah. or, or things that you would suggest people have on hand before they attempt this?
1: I don't think there's any uh, specific secrets to the tools of the trade when changing oil in an engine room uh, down below. I think you have to be prepared again. Uh, oil zorb pads are really a really good thing to have for that errant spill that's likely going to happen, uh, drips and things of that nature. I really like to have a properly sized uh, oil filter wrench Mm-hmm. which sometimes you can't hand spin it off and so you've got to have this the right one uh small enough to get into tight quarters things like that uh i like to have degreaser and a rag uh just to wipe the whole thing down afterwards just to keep mm-hmm. things neat and clean uh and then of course the containers i think is again is a really important thing just yeah. to prepare for because you don't want to run out of space uh, halfway through an extraction and not have to put it so right. really nothing nothing secretive there
0: okay So typically, how often should people expect to be changing their engine oil on the way around the loop?
1: It's a great question. I always refer to the periodic interval maintenance suggestions by the manufacturer. I think that's the best place to start, whether it's a Cummins, Volvo, Perkins, uh, Detroit, diesel, it doesn't matter. Start there. I think in the industry, out in the field, I think a rule of thumb is about every 100 hours, but there's also a lot of ancillary considerations to that. You know, how hard are you running the engines? You know, are you in an environment where it's um, a little bit more difficult on the, on the oil? Things like that. You know, a full displacement trawler is going to run at lower temperature, lower RPMs. Uh, you know, a planing vessel is going to run at a higher RPMs. So there's different, there, there's different stresses you put on the oil that I think take into consideration. But I think in general, every 100 hours is a rule of thumb for those that haven't gotten that far into it yet.
0: Okay, and you also mentioned um, getting all the all of the different changes in cadence for convenience and doing it all at one time. So tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, also a good rule of thumb. If you're going to go to the extent of changing the oil, I think it's also a good practice to change all the fuel filters, uh, and those are your primary and your secondaries, your Raycor uh, filter elements, and then also your can spin-on filters on the on the actual engine. So I think it's if it's oil change day or week, then I think doing all of it in one day to get it all done and, you know, documented is the best practice, I think, because if you're trying to do it and it's fragmented, you're down in the engine room a lot. I know people love to be in the engine room, but, but changing oil and fluids and filters sometimes isn't the best um, of times, can be the best, sometimes the worst of times, but I think <laughs> getting it all done, all done at the same time, is a really good practice. And and it's another good opportunity for you to do a lot of other inspections too uh, that need to be done in the engine room.
0: So uh, do you wanna go into some what some of those other inspections might be that you should be checking for while you're doing this?
1: I think there's very few things that shouldn't be inspected down in the engine room. I think there's various things that need to be inspected whether it's electrical or plumbing, hoses, serpentine belts, uh, you know, if you have the ability to take off an end cap of a heat exchanger and peer into it to see what's going on in the interior or a bore scope, uh, looking into those, those pieces are really, really important. The componentry of the engine is very, very important, especially in the open loop system, the cooling system, uh, changing, uh, belts. If you want to, uh, if there's a couple hundred hours on it, you probably should change the serpentine belt engine zinks. Uh, there's a lot that can be done. And I, and I love to sit in the engine room personally. I've been accused of doing it too much with a spray bottle, a degreaser and a clean rag and just wiping everything down. It's amazing what you can find that may be loose, needs attention by just wiping it down. Uh, and that includes the generator and the battery cases and everything else. So it's amazing what your hand will run over that might need some attention that the eye would never actually see. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good practice in checking everything down in the engine room.
0: It's a great idea. Um, back to I mean, the oil changes. States, like, yeah, yeah, let's
1: face it. I mean, it's it's the it's the lifeblood and the heartbeat of most power boats. Right. It's not like we have sails to take off if you need it. So, the the the, the best that you can treat your machinery mechanical, that's going to treat you as well.
0: Yeah. So, and we kind of started that little piece in in talking about the oil changes. Someone who perhaps just recently bought their boat for the great loop and went through, um, a survey probably is familiar with the idea of, uh, sending an oil sample out for analysis. Um, is this something you recommend doing for every oil change?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I would hope that somebody had just purchased a boat that the oil analysis would have been part of that, uh, part of that procedure. That's a great benchmark to start with from an ownership standpoint, even if there are previous oil samples you want to take those with the vessel, but it's a great benchmark to start to take those samples and submit it uh, for analysis of of not just the engine oil, but also the generator oil and the transmission oil should all be sampled out and submitted to a a company that you've either heard of, it's been referenced to, uh, or whoever your favorite company is. There's lots of them out there, Uh, but the, the process of taking those samples should definitely be adhered to because it's a really important part of the overall um, maintenance and, and diagnosis and just fundamentally seeing what's going on with the componentry that you can't lay eyes on, for okay. sure. Um, I, you know, there's, there are some companies also that do coolant analysis, so I think that's also something that sometimes gets overlooked. It might be, might be splitting hairs, but coolant analysis is also a really important part of it as well. There are less companies that do coolant analysis, but if they're out there. You can find them.
0: Okay. Um, So is it important to use the same company each time you have that oil analysis done?
1: I think it's more important to do it every oil change and every uh, submission, every time you change oil. But I think uh, there's merit to having the same company because they're going to have your records that you keep submitting for your oil analysis and samples on file. You'll more often than not get a PDF back from them with all the results, but they'll also have on file everything that's been done to the vessel that you submitted for samples. Uh, I think it really comes down to convenience. I mean, we use Blackstone because they're easy. Their containers are postmarked, pre-postmarked. They've got everything in the little containers and you just throw it in, in a mailbox and it goes and it gets to them. Um, and they do a lot of other things, too. They do a lot of planes and classic cars and high performance equipment. But everybody got their own preferred uh equipment oil testing analysis company that they that they were referred to there's a lot of them out there for sure
0: let's take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors when we come back i want to shift a little bit and and talk a little bit about the savings maybe from some of the, the diy projects you can do but also um going beyond just the engine oil changes into some of the other things and, and we touched on them but let's you know kind of run through that list and Um, that's what will be coming up next. So we'll be back in a moment. Cutterman Marine Services is a vessel relocation and delivery service owned and operated by retired and former members of the U.S. Coast Guard. They have crews ready to exceed your expectations wherever your vessel is located. In addition to relocation and delivery services, they offer a host of other marine services, such as new owner training. Check out their website at www.cuttermanllc.com. Or call 855-65-BOATS. You have a lot invested in your boat. Why would you trust it to someone other than the Cutterman? Cutterman Marine Services. Professional. Knowledgeable. Capable. Experienced. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Jay Craft with Trawler's Great Lakes. And we are talking a little bit about some of the maintenance things you can do in your engine room uh, that you can do yourself and therefore save some money on the great loop. So Jay, you know, f- for the person who is comfortable doing a lot of this themselves, any, any guess as to what they might be able to save over the course of the loop. And I know that's almost like somebody asking me how much it's going to cost them to do the loop. I know there's a hundred different variables and different sizes of boats and, you know, twin engines or one and all those things, but the savings can be substantial for just about any boat, right?
1: I would agree with that. Uh, Substantial, I would say it in the thousands. There's Mm -hmm. certainly a lot of variables, as you mentioned, how many oil changes you're going to do. Uh, But if you look at the uh, cost of oil, just in the last 12 months, it's gone up substantially. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's unheard of to see a gallon of oil, uh, Rotella, which is the go-to oil for most cruisers, uh, $15 to $20 a a gallon or more. So your average engine is going to carry four to five gallons of oil. So that's $100 right there. And then you've got filters uh, and that's not even paying a tech to come and do it if you prefer somebody else to do it. So I think there's substantial savings in doing it yourself. But the, the, the ancillary to that is you also get to know your engine a lot better. You get down in the engine room and you understand systems and and just visually looking at other things, but that is a, a big part of it. I think the oil changes is, is the first step into a series do it yourself or that wants to learn more about their boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I think it's a really important part, but yeah, you can, uh, as you guys know, you, you know, you're going to spend a lot of money on when you do the loop on, on uh, dockage and fuel. And if you can carve out some of that by doing the maintenance yourself, it's a bonus. It's bank for sure. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a a favorable thing. You can save a lot of money over a period of time.
0: Yeah. Jay, you also mentioned Rotella as kind of being the go-to. Um, which has been in short supply in a lot of areas. What are you seeing there on the Great Lakes?
1: Uh, same thing. We're seeing a, a little bit of a shortage. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. You go to some of the n- national automotive chains and, and they're on short supply of it. Uh, uh, we have actually found a good source is the uh, is home improvement centers, Lowe's. They have mm-hmm. it. Uh, last I checked, it was $15 a gallon. I mean, I have it on the shelf, but they can get it for you. So, yeah. I, you know, it's different if you think outside of the box a little bit for some of these suppliers. I think you can still secure some good pricing, and uh, with a little proper planning, you can get it when you need to, for sure. But that, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing right now, very interesting thing.
0: Yeah. So obviously, there's are things to maintain besides just doing the oil changes. Um, and you talked a little bit about some of the, the things that a looper may take on themselves, but kind of run through that, you know, what are some of the maintenance needs that a looper with a little bit of knowledge and skill can consider doing themselves instead of paying somebody to do for them?
1: Well, I think you, if you look at some of the basics, you know, uh, water pump impellers is one of them. Uh, you know, the, the heat exchangers is a really important one but not everybody's going to get into that but you can at least flush it or descale heat exchangers after coolers and things of that nature uh, i think the belt is a very important one uh, a regular inspection of your serpentine belt very important because that drives not only the water pump impeller in most cases or it's gear driven uh, it will also run the uh, oil pump as well so regular inspections of that serpentine belt Uh, is a really important one, replacement of that belt. You should always have one of those spares on board, but I think replacement of that belt should be a routine thing. Probably throw it in there when you do your oil changes. Um, You know, there's other things. Uh, Air filter, it's very simple to look at. Most engines have them. The environment that we run in doesn't necessarily, I think, require regular frequent replacement of it, but it's something to look at while you're down in there and take a look at. We, We had a vessel of ours that was actually quite dirty. Uh, here in the docks last summer, so we replaced it. So it's just one of those routine you know, routine things. Um, pencil zincs are often overlooked. Uh, pencil zincs in heat exchangers, after coolers, uh, oil coolers uh, are really important, I think, often overlooked and very simple to replace provided that you have the right ones for your specific model or CPL. Uh, but those are really important to, to also check over. Uh, and hoses, hoses. Uh, can become cracked and dry over a period of time, and I think hoses are something to uh, look at having uh, on board or inspecting them. And some are easier to replace than others. There's mm-hmm. some that are very tight and uh, are hiding in small places. That you'd never know there's a hose. Uh, <laughs> so go back to learning your engine again and finding some of those those hoses that you may not have known were on board uh, on the on the engine.
0: Yeah. So Jay, uh, you kind of mentioned inspecting these things. Um, Are these mostly things that you can inspect and look for wear and then go ahead and change out? Or are there some of these that you should just plan to change regularly, regardless of whether you can actually see the wear and tear on them?
1: I think, uh, again, going back to where the boat's being operated, I think uh, those in the southern climates and the environments that are a little harsher on boats, salt water, I think that routine maintenance and inspection should be more frequent than those of us up here in the Great Lakes. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to find the kind of uh, replacements of impellers and things like that more more frequent down south and up here. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I think a lot of it depends on where the boat is and where your primary boating region is, uh, because there, that dictates I think uh, the maintenance curve. Of a lot of boats should go up with regards to being in salt water or brackish water environment, and is a little bit more on par being up in a Great Lakes region because you know we only have the boats in the water six months, n- maybe six months out of the year. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas a lot of people are going to be boating you around down style. So I think taking consideration the environment, where it's at, located as a big part of, of the inspections and what you should look at. I don't think you should take anything out of the equation. I think that overall inspection uh, in the engine room should be done, you know, at least monthly, uh-huh. if not more frequently than that. That's just my take on it. Uh, but the more inspections you do, uh it really is a proactive way to staving off problems and keeping the boat running and keeping it healthy. Yeah.
0: You you did mention during that, um, Jay, the 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 zincs. Um so as you're moving from freshwater to salt water or saltwater to freshwater on the Great Loop, we get asked a lot, um, is there anything specific you should do to prepare the boat for that change? Are there different sacrificial anodes you should look into? Um, anything else with the systems on the boat that you should be concerned about as you're moving from fresh to, to salt water or inverse?
1: Yeah, I'm not a metallurgist or a zincologist by any means, mm-hmm. but I do know that there's uh, different zinks for different water applications for brackish and certainly fresh water. Magnesium seems to be the freshwater uh, zinc of choice. again, going back to what's called, generically a zinc, but it's not really a right. zinc. Mm-hmm. It's a magnesium right. So uh, aluminum is another uh, choice material for zinc and brackish water, things like that. I think you should refer to uh, specifically the area that you're going to be in again, but the, the basic and most important part of all zincs, whether in the engine or hanging off the boat is to make sure that they're not gone and just make sure they're there. I mean, you can certainly go into the great lakes and have zincs on your boat. Um, it's not ideal because most people will say you need to have magnesium, but you can still do it and get away with it. But, but regular inspection of all zincs is key to having them on board and not having any, any running gear uh, be sacrificed, definitely.
0: Right. Okay. So the next thing I want to ask you about may differ depending on the size of the boat or things like that, but let's talk a little bit about um, parts that may be subject to more frequent failure than others, that are practical to carry aboard. Again, depending on the size of the boat, you know I've heard it said that anybody who's got spare props has them because they had they dinged them <laughs> and had to get another set and have that that one fixed. Yeah, might not be something real practical to carry because of the cost yeah. and the weight and the size. But there's plenty of things that it is practical, and you probably should consider carrying along so that you can change them yourself, or even you know having the part available if you decide to bring in a tech can certainly shortcut the process in some cases. So kind of give us your list of the top things that a looper should consider having spares aboard.
1: Yeah, I, again, this, this could be, you could get a large, large list together for those that are, mm. are purists and just wanna carry one or two of everything. But I, I think in general for that near shore coastal passage maker looper, I think uh, zincs are important. Water pump impellers are important. Perhaps even a water pump itself, not big. You can carry a spare one on board. If you want to go to the expense of having a spare one, uh, serpentine belts. I think a nice selection and collection of large and small fuses. Uh, boats with uh, bow thrusters are you know 150 200 amp fuses. Should have a couple of those. Uh, you know gasket kits. A select amount of gaskets uh, for water pump impellers and things like that. Uh, and more than just one. To replace it, if you drop it in the bilge, tear it, breaks, whatever the case may be, and then actually make yourself a gasket kit, I think is a good thing to have on board. Um, Just most of the stuff with the the common componentry things. um, You want to get a little bit further into it, I think an engine ECU or an ECM, potentially, if you've got a common rail engine, electronically controlled engine, uh, might be a good place if you're going to venture over into the Bahamas uh, and have a, a issue over there and it happens to come down to the these or the ECM, I think that's a really good thing to have. Um, but just those common parts, maybe a few select hoses as well, um, that you, you know, uh, not a coil, not a whole box coil, but, you know, four or five feet of uh, select size of hose that's common on the boat would be a good thing to have. So I, you know, just cover yourself, uh, with, with anything that, uh, will not uh, have in your repertoire. If you've got a problem, hopefully cover it all, but there's, there's a lot that you can carry, I think. Uh, but for that near shore coastal passage, you kind of have to cut it off a little bit because you can make the water line in the boat disappear by bringing a lot <laughs> of stuff along. <laughs> yeah.
0: And also never underestimate the power of um, the looper network out there for some parts. And then, you know, we had an example um, sitting in Fort Myers over the winter where we've got one head and it was torn apart for, I, I can't even remember the reason um but discovered a part we needed that we could not get anywhere locally and um you know randomly another looper on the dock had one that we were able to borrow and then replace for him when we could get our part in so um you know you can't carry everything (laughs) and it seemed you know murphy's law whatever it is that you're not carrying is probably going to be what you need so ask around on the dock you can often find something
1: very good point uh it is a very powerful network and there's a lot of people that want me to help and it's amazing what people will carry. Uh and you never know when somebody's got it right next to you in a slip. Absolutely. Very good point.
0: Definitely. Um so we're at a point in, you know, our culture where a lot of us did not grow up working on the cars with our dad like our parents might have. Um and I think a lot of that is has kind of been lost and, and it now affects you when you're going to do the loop because you've never perhaps done an oil change before and really just don't have the familiarity with um, the workings of an engine. But all is not lost if that is the case because there are places Correct. you can go to learn. So what are your, some resources for people who have an interest in doing this themselves but just aren't quite sure that they have the skill set yet? Where can they go to learn more and develop some, some additional skills?
1: That's a great question, Tim. I really think uh, that is one of those decisions that a lot of people have to make when they become owners. When I, when I sit down with our class, I always ask them, you know, what their intentions are. What do you think you're going to be doing after ownership? And I invariably hear a lot of different responses. And I always tell people that there are, there are three types of people that uh, are going to work on boats. You're going to be a do-it-yourselfer and do as much of it you can, stay within your comfort zone, And then there's going to be what we call the checkbook maintenance kind of people, which is absolutely fine. Nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just, you're not that mechanical inclined. You don't want to be, then you can have all the work done. And then you've got the in-between person. And again, based on what you've got in terms of your mechanical inclination, just run with it and, and develop it, or just stamp that and say you're happy with it and let somebody else do the hard work or stuff that's outside of your comfort zone. But there's a lot of resources out there to acquire, require more information, um, both in periodicals and online, clearly. I some of the go-tos that I use and I think should be on every boat is Nigel Calder's uh, boat maintenance and electrical manual. I think that doesn't require a Wi-Fi or a cellular uh, uh, signal. It's a book, you have it on board, great reading material. I think that should be on a lot of boats because he does a really good job and he's still very active in, in the industry. Um, uh, the other one that I think is a really good resource that that is uh, expanding as a result of uh, the online is ABYC American Boat and Yacht Council. It is specifically intended for marine industry professionals. However, you don't have to be one to be a member of ABYC. You can just have a, an individual membership and do their courses online. They've got a lot of resources that are free. You don't have to be a member, a lot of videos and things like that. They're an excellent resource and a referral guide for a lot of things that people are doing on boats these days. Uh, so I think they're a good one that you should anybody should take a look at. I think it's abyc.org, I believe. Although, you know, you've got other people for all your Cummins enthusiasts out there. SBMAR, Mar, uh, Tony Athens, company out in California, is an excellent resource for all things Cummins. Uh, he's our go-to for parts and uh, his blog and everything else. He's got uh, resource boards uh, that you it's amazing how much information he's got and even more amazing that he will actually respond to some questions on the blogs himself. Sure. Um, you think a guy with that kind of company wouldn't have the time to do that, but he does he kind of tells you where his head's at. He'd rather yeah. probably be in the, in the field than, than uh, running the company, but uh, he's a great one. And then, uh, you know, there's a couple others on YouTube. I think everybody goes to YouTube and, and looks at YouTube specifically for whatever they're looking at and want to learn more about, but, Uh, you know, there's, there's so much out there and you're right that you can, you can get into this and not have much uh, knowledge of it and build upon it if you want to. But again, if you don't, you can be a checkbook maintenance kind of person and, uh, and have somebody else do it. But one thing I would say about being a checkbook maintenance kind of person, if you're going to have somebody work on the boat, it might be, uh, wise to have the manufacturers of the engine, their field service technicians come and do it. Because then you have all of those historical records with everything that's been done to the engine and serviced by Cummins Field Service Tech, Detroit Diesel, uh, Caterpillar, Volvo, whoever it may be. And then all that information is historically in their system for referral back. So that's something you might want to consider, too. Probably going to be a little bit more expensive, but I think that's money well spent because then you don't lose those records and they're always you can always obtain those records again pretty easily.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Another good tip I heard from a looper that made so much sense to me um, who purchased their previously owned boat, you know, a year or so before getting ready to go on the loop. And in addition to getting themselves some training on how to handle the boat, um, they had a mechanic come in and, you know, go through everything from top to bottom, but show them along the way what they were seeing and what they were doing and what they were fixing um, and really brought themselves up to speed with the help of a mechanic they were paying to do that. But then that mechanic also had an intimate knowledge of the boat. So after they left, if they had any specific issues, they had someone to call who knew the boat pretty much as well as they did. Is that something you see happening? Because it sounds like such a great idea to me, but I don't know if some mechanics would be kind of hesitant to train someone to do it themselves, knowing that you know they're not going to be paid to do it if the person's doing it themselves. So do you see... A lot of mechanics out there with that spirit of being willing to show you what to do?
1: I think it's a great suggestion and I think with a little resource uh, and a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of uh, web hunting you can find those guys out there. I think that's great. Knowledge is power for sure and the more you know about your boat and how it works and and what you need to do to stave off any issues the better off you're going to be. If you can find somebody to come on your boat and spend a couple days with you and walk you through the whole program uh, in terms of the, you know, the engine room and, and all the ancillary systems that are tied to the engine room, the vessel, plumbing, electrical, it's extensive. And boats are complicated these days. I think you're going to be far better off in the long run uh, than you are trying to uh, go through it yourself and, and baptism by fire in this particular case. I don't think is, uh, is the wisest choice, but I do know people that do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's also uh, true when you look at uh, operating the boat as well. Uh, We often tell people in our program that purchase boats from us, brokerage new, whatever the case may be that, yes, we know you have these aspirations of taking off and sailing into the sunset and doing the loop, but it's highly advisable that you get to know the boat and its functionality and how it, you know, characteristically how it operates before you set off on a big trip, you know, the Great Lakes or wherever it may be, just stay in your home port and get to get to know the boat before you venture off and, and go to the Bahamas or start doing the loop or something like that. So I think that's very wise, wise information yeah. and very wise advice to, to do that instead of just jumping off the end of the dock and taking off and, and hoping for the best. I think that's not the best way to, to approach it.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. And that is uh, certainly what we preach to our members. Um, you know, certainly if you kind of just jump in with both feet and just take off, it's been done and it's been done successfully. Uh, But I just think you're increasing the odds that, you know, something could go wrong that you're not prepared to handle if you don't have that experience level. So I'm glad to hear that you're preaching the same out there. Um, Your season's just getting ready to start. So uh, we wish you the best of a 2022 season. Um, Any last thoughts as uh, we let you go on to your important things you have going on as you're getting ready to launch all those boats up there?
1: Yeah, no, not really, Kim. I, I, uh, you know, I think that everyone, anyone can do this if they put their mind to it. Uh, And just know, know your limitations, you know, with all of this that we talked about today, and, and all the other things that go into ownership, especially somebody who's new to it, Uh, seek out somebody who has the ability to guide you through the process, um, and has the patience to do it. Yes, it'll cost a little bit more money to do it. But I think it's money well spent in the long run. Um, But there's plenty of people out there that Are affiliated with AGLCA with your organization that that are more than willing to help people do that, and that's why we all get together, you know, four, five, six times a year to to do just that. So I think it's a it's a very very smart thing to do, and yeah, we're starting to see the 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 colder weather get out uh, here. We're looking forward to a pretty good season up here, and um, yeah, if there's any loopers that come through and uh, they want to uh, touch base with us, have them do it. Well, uh, occasionally we have a slip here in Traverse City, so. Uh, it's something we certainly offer to all loopers on the way through here. So, yeah, I yeah, look forward that, to seeing some of them.
0: Yeah, I'll be on my way through there uh, sometime this summer. Haven't quite narrowed it down. It'll likely be August, but we'll definitely look you up when we get there.
1: Please do, Kim. Yeah, if we'll have a slip for you if you guys come through and put you over here and and I'll show you Traverse City for sure.
0: We'd love that. Thanks, Jay Craft with Trawler's Great Lakes. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for the insight on some of the DIY maintenance. We'll um, look forward to seeing you again.
1: You're welcome, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And to everyone who's watched and listened this week, we'll be back next week with another episode of great loop radio until then safe cruising.